You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello, and welcome back to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is Noelle Tarr. I'm your host, and I am the founder of coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a National Strength and Conditioning Association certified personal trainer. Today, I'm going to be discussing a brand new topic that has never been discussed on here before, and that is how to help your kids become healthy eaters and teach them to eat intuitively and trust their bodies. This is a tall order. <laughs> As a mom of two, I'm like, how do I do this? Um, over the last six years, we've talked a lot about mindset and improving your relationship with food and how to move past long withstanding shame and guilt around food and eliminate the voices of diet culture that are so pervasive with uh, intuitive eating principles. Unfortunately, all this starts at such a young age. I know many of you can trace back negative thoughts around food and your body and feeling like you need to control food to situations at home and school growing up at a, at a really young age. And now that I am a mom of two, they are now two and four, I, I want to do everything that I can to help my children trust their bodies and have a healthy relationship with food. So today I have on a registered dietitian. Her name is Marielle Barron, and this is her sole focus of her practice. She is an expert in dealing with picky eaters. God bless her. Uh, so uh, get ready to take notes and share this one with all the moms in your life. Before I bring on Marielle, if you've been looking for a way to reduce stress and fatigue and improve cellular function and immunity, and nourish your endocrine system. My endocrine system needs all the nourishment it can get, uh, including your adrenals and thyroid. Look no further than red light therapy. It does all of this within a matter of minutes. Red light therapy is one of the most effective health modalities you can use with a device in your own home. I do this daily. It has helped improve my sleep, it's reduced fatigue and headaches, so it actually reduces a lot of the tension I get, specifically like tension headaches, because it sort of melts muscle soreness and pain, and it's incredible for reducing inflammation and stress because studies show it actually stimulates energy production in your cells by improving mitochondrial function. So it literally literally improves how your cells are functioning, which is why studies show it can improve thyroid function, for example, for those dealing with hypothyroidism. And people with hypothyroidism will actually see a reduction in their need for medication, which is really profound. Uh, red light therapy, like most things, has to be in a specific sweet spot to deliver therapeutic benefits. So things like wavelength and density and dosage have to be in balance. And anything outside of that sweet spot will be less effective. So Juve, J-O-O-V-V, is the leading brand when it comes to effective and safe red light therapy. They optimize all the variables needed to hit that therapeutic window. What I love about Juve is that it delivers clinical benefits within minutes, twice a day, 10 minutes at 10 minutes at a session. That's really all you need. Um, 
And they're, they, have, they use scientifically proven wavelengths. So their wavelengths are 660 nanometers, 850 nanometers, or a combination of both. And that ensures that Juve's products offer the same therapeutic value seen in red light therapy research. And it's really comparable to the professional red light therapy treatments, um, which really just makes these devices an amazing investment that you will have for years and years and years. So Juve has officially launched their next generation of devices. They're gorgeous. They're lighter. And you don't have to sit sit so close to them. Um, And then they have these really cool new features like recovery plus mode for like post-workout, so improving recovery. And then ambient mode for a calming lower intensity of light at night to improve circadian rhythms. If you're looking for a new Juve device for your home, go to juve.com slash wellfed. That's J-O-O-V-V dot com slash wellfed. And use the code wellfed. That will get you a discount. You will get something off. You definitely will. Um, So that's, Juve doesn't do um, a ton of discounts, which is why I've I think it's so nice that we do have one. Um, Sometimes it varies depending on the device. So just put in your email or put in the coupon code WELLFED, and that adjustment in price will be dependent on whatever you have in your cart. So get a discount. Get that red light therapy device in your home. Set it. I have mine set up at my computer, <laughs> um, and I turn it on when I'm working. So juve.com slash wellfed. Again, that's J-O-O-V-V dot com slash wellfed. Now let me bring on Marielle. Marielle is a registered dietitian and mom of two who specializes in kids and family nutrition. She helps parents and caregivers navigate and overcome their child's picky eating so they can raise intuitive eaters who have a healthy relationship with food. Her website is mariellebaron.com. She has a, a very informative Instagram, which is how I found her. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's nurturing.intuitive.eaters.rd. Well, welcome, Marielle. Thank you so much for being here. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So this is a monster of a topic because every parent has struggled to get their kids to eat. You think you know exactly how it's all going to work. And then you have kids and all of a sudden they start refusing foods, especially the ones that they used to love. And then now all they want is fruit. And now you're you're not sure if they're gaining enough weight or they're getting enough protein and then they won't even look at a veggie and then you go to your first birthday party and you're not sure if you should let your kid eat cake and then grandma visits and feeds them candy behind your back (laughs) i've had that happen Mm -hmm. and then some uncle makes a comment about how your daughter should watch how much she eats so it's overwhelming and confusing and i think as parents we we come with our own feelings like we were talking about just before we we jumped on you know as parents we we come with our own feelings and thoughts around food and our own history of rules and restrictions and sometimes it can be very hard to separate what we know and like the perfect plate from our interactions with our kids when it comes to 
how they engage with food. So one of the things that you talk about a lot is the division of responsibility in feeding. So as parents, what exactly is our role when it comes to helping our kids become, in quotations, healthy or good eaters? Yeah, so I'm so glad that we started with this topic because it's actually the most important, like, foundational element when it comes to feeding our kids and to raising healthy, competent eaters who have a good relationship with food. So the division of responsibility is an evidence-based approach to feeding that basically outlines parent and child roles at mealtime. So it allows us as adults to establish structure and boundaries around feeding. And then it enables kids the autonomy to trust their own hunger and fullness cues and to eat accordingly. So what exactly does that look like? So adults are responsible for deciding the what, the when, and the where. Like what food is served, when food is served, and where food is served. And kids are responsible for deciding whether and how much to eat at meals and snacks. And a lot of times when people first hear about this, they're like really surprised. They're like, what do you mean the child decides whether and how much to eat? Isn't that my job to get my child to eat? And that's the whole point. It's not your job to get your child to eat. It's your job to give your child the opportunity to eat. It's your job to offer a variety of foods, create like a pleasant eating environment, to role model, to encourage them to tune into their own bodies, to guide their eating and to support them in learning all of that. Mm. Um, And to let them do it in their own time too. So I think it's like, People don't realize that, you know, kids are not necessarily going to eat exactly the way that we want them to. And it's normal and it's expected for kids to have food preferences. You know, we all do. They're not going to like every food that you offer them and that's okay. But it's more of like our overarching guidance and kind of like allowing them to trust themselves. So one of the things that I have found interesting in having two kids is that their personalities are, of course, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their eating personalities are very different. Is that mm-hmm. a real thing? Like, does temperament determine how exploratory a kid is with food? Oh, absolutely. So if you have a child who's a lot more like cautious, maybe a little bit more shy or kind of hesitant about doing things or trying new things, I think a lot of that transitions over to mealtimes too. Um, I've definitely seen that in practice. I've seen that with my own kids too. You know, a lot of kids are just kind of more easygoing and they're willing to try things and they're like way more eager about eating. So yes, I would say for sure that plays a role. So what does it mean to be a good or a healthy eater? Because I think that our society has And it's been so interesting to kind of watch this as a parent, but also watch this as like social media has exploded and, you know, whatever we 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 think we need to, like, educate our kids about food constantly. Mm -hmm. And it's like that's, you know, when Weight Watchers launched that thing, the gosh, what was it called? I can't even Uh, remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like (laughs) education, education, education. Right. And so I feel like we have this idea that being a good eater means that our kids are educated and they like, you know, they make good decisions based 
information and you have kind of a different definition of what a healthy or a good eater is. So talk to me more about that. (laughs) Yeah, I, I definitely think that we need to kind of redefine what it means to be a healthy or a good eater. So most people probably assume that that might mean, you know, a child who always cleans their plate or who eats all their veggies or who barely eats sugar, maybe somebody who immediately tries and immediately likes every new food that they're given or who eats a balanced meal every time. But really, you know, I think it's a child who participates in a family meal and chooses what they want from what you have offered, who enjoys their food and is able to see food neutrally, Um, who listens to their own body to guide their eating, who is able to learn to like new foods in their own time, and who eats a variety of foods throughout the week to meet their needs, not necessarily, you know, having a balanced meal every single time or having like a really good day of eating, just looking at things over a longer term. Hmm. So, and I think like that's one of the major things that I always try to remind people about is that, You want to remember that you're feeding for the long term. So this means that the way that our kids feel about food and eating and how they are learning to nourish themselves is way more important than the bite of broccoli that you can get them to eat today. You know, we want them to eat food that honors their health and their mind and their taste buds. And when they are able to do this because they're internally motivated to do it, not because somebody else is telling them to do it, I think it'll, you know, be like a longer term thing that basically promotes health and well-being for like the longer term, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I it kind of hit me because I think our as as especially as nutrition professionals or people who are interested in in nutrition in general, which everybody is who listens to this podcast, right? They have an understanding that food is powerful and food can be medicine and food, it can change your health or impact your health. And so I think as as parents, we want our kids to know that, right? And so mm-hmm. we want them to get it, but they're four and they don't care. So it's yeah. like, so, you know, it's like we, fo- we try to focus on like education and this is good for you and this is healthy. And what we're instilling in them is actually like sort of they they don't want it when something's forced on them and we're to, we're telling them to eat it and we're saying this is healthy you need to eat it what we're doing is 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 kind of the opposite of what we want which exactly. the kid, ki, kids it's the opposite effect it's, yeah, it's kids like don't if care. somebody yeah if somebody tells you something's good for you it's like you're like eh, yeah okay but it's more of like an obligation at that point exactly um, and then like yeah. the way we demonize you know quote unquote unhealthy foods it just makes kids want them more it just gives them more power so is it so i think a lot of people are critical of this which is like you're going to decide you let your kid decide how much and and like to eat from the plate people are going to are obviously critical of that and of like this intuitive eating for kids because the assumption is that if you and this is this is a false assumption about intuitive eating in general um which is like well if i were to intuitively eat if a kid's to intuitively eat all they're going to do is eat a bunch of potato chips and candy right so is it even possible for toddlers to 
be intuitive eaters and what might that look like? I, I don't think it's candy jar open all day. Like, what does it mean for a toddler <laughs> no. to be and an that, intuitive eater? Right. And that's why the division of responsibility is so key, because if you recall, the, the parents are the ones who are providing the structure. So they're the ones deciding what food is being offered when we're eating and where we're eating. So it's not like the child is able to just be like, okay, this is what I'm going to have for lunch today. And, you know, we pour like a whole box of mac and cheese onto our plate and call it good. Um, It's just you have that structure in place and then you let them do their job. So with what you have provided, then they're able to decide whether and how much to eat from what you've made available. And young kids are actually the best examples of intuitive eaters. So kids are born with the ability to eat intuitively according to their natural hunger and fullness cues. Think about, you know, a baby who cries when they're hungry, they stop eating when they're full, or how on some days our toddlers eat more than we do, and on other days they <laughs> seem to exist on like air, you know. <laughs> or a child who maybe asks for another sandwich and takes like one bite and then just says, I'm done, and leaves the rest. So these are all examples of intuitive eating. And truly, the only person who knows how much a child needs to eat is that child. You know, they're the ones who are in their body. Um, So it's about trusting our kids to eat what their body needs because they're the experts of their bodies. Um, And I think our job as parents is to preserve this ability, not try to override it. Because when kids are told to eat more or less than they want or that foods are like good or bad or that they have to eat x to get y they start to lose touch with that ability and we don't want to raise kids who eat for external reasons Um, we want to make sure that they're confident and they trust their own bodies so that they can basically go on to be adults who have a healthy relationship with food Hmm. so talk to me about um setting up an environment that allows our kids to eat more intuitively and trust their bodies. So what does, like you say, provide the what, Mm -hmm. uh, how, what are we, what's a good, like balanced meal for, I think a lot of people here know what certain healthy foods they're going to be serving their kids at Mm mealtime. But what does that actually look like when we're talking about a family sitting down at a table and, you know, our kid is actually engaging with food and eating it? Like, are we providing them all of their favorite foods? Are we providing them all at the same time? Are we giving them their, the fruit or the thing we know they're going to eat a ton last? Like, what does that look like? So I think everything should be offered all at once. And, you know, when possible, really, the best thing you can do is make one meal for the entire family. And I know a lot of people, when they hear that, they're like, oh, my gosh, how is that possible? Everybody has different preferences. And how can I possibly come up with a meal that pleases everybody. And the way you do that is you basically, you know, choose what meal you're going to make. And then it's all in the sides. So make sure that there is like at least one safe food, which is a food that your child reliably eats. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be their favorite food, but just something that they tend to eat when you serve it. Um, And just make sure that there's at least one of those available so that when they come to the table, they're not going to immediately reject the meal because there's nothing familiar, nothing that they can eat if they're hungry. Um, But I would really recommend putting everything out at the same time. And this is probably going to be controversial, but even when you're deciding to serve some sort of dessert item or sweet, 
to put it right on the table with all the other food because this puts it at an equal playing field to everything else. I think a lot of times we end up putting sweets and desserts up on a pedestal just because we're saying, you know, you have to eat your broccoli and then I can give you a cookie. And what that does is just gives way more power to those sweet foods and it makes the broccoli look like this awful thing that our kids have to suffer through to get the thing that they really want. So that's what I would recommend in terms of like setting up the meal. Um, But I think you were asking like, how do we set up an environment to help them eat intuitively? So a couple things come to mind. Um, One, again, having that meal and snack schedule. So providing that structure, giving our kids the opportunities to eat every like three-ish hours um, so that they can come to that meal or snack decide what amount feels good to them to eat, knowing that there's always another opportunity to eat right around the corner. Um, Also just being able to provide them with those opportunities to meet their nutrient needs throughout the day. So, you know, several opportunities all throughout the day. Um, Also having a no pressure environment. So research clearly shows that pressure backfires. So you may Mm. be able to get your child to eat Um, whatever it is that you're trying to get them to eat today. But how does that translate to how they will eat when you're not there to, like, make them do it? And how does that translate to their long-term relationship with food? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And then thirdly, I would say just model, like, yourself eating intuitively and kind of give them the language to help support it. So some of my favorite phrases to use to help you know, support our kids to eat intuitively or things like, you know, how does your tummy feel? Um, You don't have to eat it if you don't want to. Um, You know, you can have as much as you'd like. We can save it for later if you don't want it now. It's so great that you're listening to your body um, and you can trust your body to eat what it needs. So I'd say that all those things kind of support them to eat intuitively and to trust their body. Yeah, I try to put myself in my kids' shoes because if I if I was served double, I mean, there's some days that I'm not as hungry, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not as active. I'm not as hungry. Sometimes I'm like, eh, I just want a salad and a bite of, you know, din- a couple bites of dinner and I'm good because I'm just yeah. not there, right? So yes. what if somebody, what if my husband had put two servings, uh, you know, two big helpings on my plate and served it to me and said, you need mm-hmm. to finish this. Oh my gosh, you know, I so agree with that. It's like, right. it's so helpful to put yourself in their shoes and to think about how it would make you feel. Yeah. And I don't like that feeling, right? Like, no, I don't want to be told. <laughs> I don't want to have to be told that I need to, like, slam food down. I know. Um, and it's been really interesting because I have a girl and a boy. And um, sometimes my daughter eats a ton of food and is asking for more. And so the mm-hmm. next night I'll give her a big plate and she won't eat that right now. Now she's <laughs> right. not hungry at all. Yeah, um, because and, it can and, vary so much from day to day. Exactly. Yeah. And my son is slamming food down, but now my son's in a phase where he's not really eating. Like he barely ate anything last night. And that was, that was fine. You know, yeah. I, I, I just, I always have to put myself in those shoes and say, think of what you feel when you're full and not hungry. Do you want somebody force feeding you and telling you you have to clean your plate for what yeah it's it's such a personal thing and it's like Mm -hmm. I, i think that is such a good point because 
I know that myself, like even like in my adult life, people have made comments about it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, please don't comment on what I'm eating or what I'm not eating. Yeah. It's just, it's very personal. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we do when our child refuses to eat a specific food like broccoli or whatever, <laughs> you know, because Poor um, it's, 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 it's <laughs> really, I, I know, and I love it. So, um, so I'm always eating it, which is another thing we can talk about in a second, which is like, you know, when parent, what parents are eating, kids are going to be more, you know, open to trying. So I think that that's like another element of it too. But I think you know, we all have this experience where our babies, like when they're fresh babies and they're mm-hmm. they're trying new foods, they're like, oh, broccoli, oh, you know, oh, liverwurst, and they're yeah, they're they eating eat things, everything. right? And then they yeah. turn like eighteen months or two mm-hmm. years old, and all of a sudden they're like, ew, I don't want that, right? They yep. just like won't <laughs> eat their the food anymore. Yeah. So when our child starts to ref- get into that refusal phase, which I think is very normal, it's a mm-hmm. part of toddlerhood. Um, when they get into that refusal phase, you know, how do we respond and how do we encourage them to try foods that maybe they once loved again or like try new foods because now they're getting teeth and it's nice to kind of start bringing in new foods. Right. So I think the more that we react, the more that they react. So I think like how we choose to respond when things like this happen is really important. And it can kind of like, first of all, set the tone for the rest of the meal and also for their future experiences with these foods. So if we're like, oh, come on, broccoli is so good. It's going to make you grow big and strong. And, you know, I bet you'll love it. It tastes so good. Just try it. That's just so off-putting to a child, whereas if we're kind of just like, okay, you don't have to eat it, a lot of times just kind of putting them at ease like that actually might make them willing to try it or to almost like prove you wrong. Like, oh, she said I don't have to eat it. Um, So I think, again, just trying to kind of remain calm and just even if it does phase you, pretend that it doesn't and just say, okay, you don't have to eat it. So we all know that, you know, veggies are super nutritious. So if your child won't eat them, you're probably like stressing that they're not getting the nutrition that they need. Um, You might feel the need to like bribe them with sweets or figure out ways to hide the veggies in the food. But I just really don't recommend that because again, if we're taking a step back and thinking about our long-term feeding goals for our kids, we want them to grow to enjoy a variety of foods and continue to enjoy those foods. So, you know, if our kids are forced to eat certain foods, it's common for them to not eat those foods later because they develop a negative association with it. Mm. Um, you know, if bribes are used, again, the veggies are seen as something that kids have to suffer through, and then the reward is viewed as even more special. And then if we hide veggies in our kids' food, they can really develop a mistrust, like once they figure out that that's what you're doing, and then they're going to refuse to eat it and become very cautious of everything that you're serving them. So... One of the best phrases, really, that I use all the time is, you don't have to eat it. And I just think it puts kids at ease. um, And then they can decide whether or not they want to try it. Um, And, you know, veggies are really hard. They taste bitter. Kids have even more taste buds on their tongue than adults do. So those bitter flavors are even more pronounced for them. So I think it's, first of all, just normal to know that kids... A lot of kids just have a hard time with veggies, and that's okay. I think the best thing that we can do is to just keep offering them, allow them to, you know, like you were saying, let 
them see you eating the same thing that you want them to enjoy and just you know find ways to help them build comfort with these foods and a lot of times that means away from meal time because sometimes when you're sitting at the table it's just it's like more f- of a formal environment and there might just be a little bit more pressure there so you know maybe take it away from the table kind of play with it and do other things like that to get them more familiar so that it's not so overwhelming when they do sit down and see it at a meal. If you struggle with blood sugar spikes or drops or experience symptoms of blood sugar dysregulation like hanger, shakiness, or that dreaded 3 p.m. energy crash, you can absolutely benefit from specific nutrients that are known to support the stabilization of blood sugar and metabolism. Many, many of you know that your bodily functions, such as hunger, sleep, and mood, are glucose-dependent, which means your optimal daily performance is reliant on balanced blood glucose. And many things can disrupt your blood sugar, including diet or stress. Stress, a lack of sleep can really impact that, and so can hormone imbalances. The good news is that there are some amazing natural nutrients that are great for improving blood sugar, and they can be found in Bioptimizer's Blood Sugar Breakthrough. It's basically a compound supplement. You guys know I love compound supplements that contains research-based ingredients that have been scientifically proven to optimize blood sugar levels. Uh, It has chromium and biotin which are key nutrients that support blood sugar metabolism and insulin production, and berberine, which research suggests may improve insulin sensitivity. Bioptimizer's Blood Sugar Breakthrough doesn't have any cheap filler ingredients or preservatives. If you're struggling with blood sugar dysregulation, I highly recommend giving it a try. Go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health slash wellfed to get our podcast community discount because you know we always get the best deals. You can get a bundle discount and then use the code wellfed10 to get an additional 10% off. Again, that's three words. So blood sugar breakthrough, B-L-O-O-D-S-U-G-A-R, and then breakthrough, B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot health, and then forward slash wellfed, and then use our code wellfed10 for an additional 10% off. How often, like how much do we need to offer something before? before we stop. (laughs) So it's exhausting when you're cooking something and you know it's good. Like I make the, I have a recipe for these like um, crispy chicken tenders that are made with cassava flour and they're so good, right? They're like homemade. They take forever to make. And of course my daughter's like, no. (laughs) Like how often, like, I'm like, oh, we should make that again. And it's, you know, I'm sure she's going to love it eventually. And I know she will, right? Like no kid grows up and is like, (laughs) yeah. So no kid's like going to end up not liking, you know, whatever chicken fingers that are perfectly fried in avocado oil. But, um, at least I hope not, but, um, you know, she, how often do we keep giving the food knowing that they don't like it or have refused it? Yeah. So I think basically if it's a food that you enjoy and that you want to eat in your family, you keep serving it. It can take kids, you know, 15, 30 more tries being exposed to new foods before they even decide to try it and then let alone, you know, figure out whether or not they like it or not. So in the meantime, 
I always say you might as well make things that you enjoy and that you would like for them to learn to enjoy someday. But I would say never stop serving it if it's a food that you enjoy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah, I get it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do. And and just on that topic, like one of the things I think, you know, I, I had obviously my daughter and then you, you have a second kid and you kind of have a do-over. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you, yeah. you, things are a little bit better with that second kid. There's, you know, there's benefits to being a first kid and there's benefits to being a second kid. Oh, totally. Um, and so, you know, I was I was a second kid, but I I think that with my son, what we have tried to do more and just by default, because, you know, we're sitting at the table more and we're making kid friend, we're making, you know, family meals and stuff now with him, or he just kind of, you know, inherited that life. He just came right into a family. We feed him what we eat. We, I have been much more intentional with this is the whatever, you know, even if it's a little spicy or it's like an Indian curry or something like this is what we we're making and I'm going to give you a little bit to try too. Yeah. Um, and as a result, he has been much more open and like, he will eat whatever I make. He just, yeah. he has no hesitations. Now his personality is also much more outgoing, mm-hmm. but he, I never assume I have with the second kid, I have never assumed that my child won't like this. I just go with it and say, sure, why don't you try it? Or, you know, I'm never like, right. oh, no, 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 you won't like this. It's spicy or no, you won't. So one of the things that he started doing was like eating from our salad. Now, salad's hard to eat, right? It's it's yeah. crunchy, it's hard. They really a lot of need different their textures. Mm-hmm, yeah, and they need their molars to eat it. And and so it's not something that we give we don't give kids raw veggies, right? We're not giving babies raw veggies. It's typically cooked, so it's a new texture. And um so, uh, you know, uh, he will eat out of our salads and he'll sometimes, you know, take all of our broccoli and put it on his plate. And <laughs> ma- ma- and even last night, he took a ton of my broccoli, which I like, I'm like, I want my broccoli, kid, but I'm fine <laughs> giving it right. Like, I'm fine. My I'm just favorite. like, sure, why not? I'm not like, you should eat this. I'm like, yeah, sure. Have this. It's a little tree, you know, and I think that's mm-hmm. so cool. And I put, you know, salt and olive oil on it or whatever. But, you know, and he was he was kind of like hoarding the broccoli. And I was like, dude, if you if you're not going to eat it like if you're just going to sit there I'm going to eat it like eat it or I'm taking it and so like I was about to take it and he was like no and then he finally like you know <laughs> ate it because I kind of like I nudged him a little bit without actually being like you need to eat this because I'm like right. I want my broccoli back so it's yeah. really interesting when you change the environment and it's little shifts right it's yes. not like it's not like you're you're, it, it's just how you say things. It's it's a difference in in perception and how you say things, and that can make all the difference. I so agree with that, and I think just in general, like if we try to do too many things at once or to try to change too many things at once, we're just gonna feel overwhelmed. And I think just like picking little things to to do and try to mm-hmm. start doing things a little bit differently is the better way to go because it sets you up for more success, really. But I think, as you're saying, our mindset is so important when it comes to all of this. Just like you're saying, you know, I don't assume that he's not going to like something just because it's Mm -hmm. spicy or whatever. Just kind of give them the benefit of the doubt and don't think that you know what's going to happen. Just keep offering it. You know, they're they're not going to have a chance to learn to like things that we never offer them. So I think it's best to just kind of go for it and see what happens. 
Yeah, and one of the things too that I do, and maybe a lot of other people do this, is I always think about um, kids who were around hundreds of years ago. Like, they mm -hmm. didn't have... Um, their parents weren't making them individual special kids' food, kid right. food meals, right? They were actually making meals and feeding it to their kids. And there are kids all over the world in different cultures, and and it's, of course, all situational, but, um, like, a lot of kids who are growing up in other cultures and countries, like, it's very normal for kids to eat the meals that the parents are eating. So I think sometimes in our in our culture and in the United States, of course, we're all about f speed and efficiency. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there was the TV dinner phase. And now, of course, <laughs> it's like the packaged, packaged meals and packaged snacks. And we, as a culture, we've gotten really used to this idea that our kids are only going to eat these types of foods. Whereas if we shift our mindset and we say, no, I mean, it's our, our let's just offer give our kids the opportunity to eat what we're eating, even if they refuse it a couple times. Um, I think it's a good practice overall. And it, and it, I have seen it work even now with my daughter. Um, you know, we've definitely shifted to that mindset because truthfully, I don't have the time to make, I don't have the energy no. to be making individual meals. And so, oh my gosh, no. you know, if she refuses it or gets mad, it's, it's, Hey, this is what we're having tonight. You don't have to eat it and you can just eat your fruit or whatever, but this is, this is what we're having tonight. Um, yeah. and just as like a follow-up question, if we're providing a meal for our kids where we have something and then we have like maybe some fruit or their favorite meal, obviously we're providing or favorite foods, obviously we're providing the what. So if they eat all the fruit and they ask for more of that, do we say yes or do we have them finish the other things on their plate before we provide more of the blueberries or whatever else? So you can give them more if they're asking for more, even if they haven't tasted or tried anything else on their plate again it's when we look at like how they eat over the course of about a week or even more that's what you want to look at because that's how you see that kids do end up balancing out their intake when you look at it over the longer term like that um i'd say that the way that kids eat is just so much different than adults so when we think of like balanced eating, if you will, for an adult, you know, you tend to think that you eat from like all the different food groups and maybe try a little bit of everything that is available at the meal. Whereas kids, maybe it's, it's super common for them to choose one, maybe two of the components that are being served at a meal or a snack. And then maybe like the next day they'll go heavy on a different food group and it just all kind of balances out like that so i know it's it's kind of like alarming to people when they're like oh my gosh my kid wants more blueberries right now like they haven't touched <laughs> anything else like yeah but it's i think the more that you kind of make like oh you know eat some chicken and then you can have more blueberries again it's doing the same thing as like when we're putting desserts up on a pedestal and trying to get them to eat something else it just makes the food seem kind of like unequal and it also encourages them to not be listening to what their body is telling them that it needs. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like mm -hmm. we assume that their body needs to eat a balanced meal right now, but maybe that's just not what it needs right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I say blueberries because that is the situation <laughs> that constantly happens in, in our house. I'm like, dude, your poop's going to be like, I know black and blue, but um, it, you know, I, I, I will say time and time again, I will just keep feeding 
whatever it is that they're asking for, give them more. So, so I heard, you know, for a while ago, I've, I heard you provide the what they decide on how much. And so I kind of moved forward with that from the beginning. And even with my picky eater, she will dive into the blueberries, dive into the blueberries. And the next night she really doesn't want any blueberries. Yeah. Exactly. And she will eat the other thing. Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting that when you allow them to have what they need to f- their fulfillment, they move yep. on to other things. Exactly. Yeah. It's just so much easier that way, too. Totally. Because nobody, it, it, I mean, it's just, I think. There's no, like, bargaining or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a struggle. And it's at the end of the day. And you just don't have this. It's a, usually a dinner. And you just don't have the energy, you know. Like, oh, it's, know. you just want to have a good, good time. Yeah. All right. Let's. And, uh, Go ahead. I was just going to add one thing. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times people will say like, you know, but if they're only just eating the fruit or whatever, you know, I would recommend maybe at the next meal or snack, you don't always have to offer a fruit if that's all that they ever seem to be eating. So again, Mm -hmm. try to think of, you know, whatever safe food you're going to be offering and make sure to kind of rotate that. So it's something different every time. Yeah. We have some great questions from our community. And this one from Cassie is sort of a follow-up of of what we were just talking about. She says, how do I not police what my kids eat? Right now, it's only fruit, even though I am offering other foods. I know it may take time for them to try a food and you should keep offering, but that is so frustrating and feels wasteful. Mm -hmm. How do I know that he's getting the nutrition that he needs? And how do I avoid sugar without making it seem like sugar is bad. I guess I just, I I guess just how to be food neutral and not glorify any food. So there was a lot of questions in there. So let's start with, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that Cassie is bringing up something that a lot of us get frustrated with. And it's like, this is so wasteful because it's hard to like restore things or pack it away. But um, you know, what are some tips for how not to police what our, our kids eat and, and how do we know that they are getting the nutrition that they need? Yeah. So in terms of um, the wasteful aspect, um, I recommend, first of all, starting with small portions. So if you're pre-plating food, start with a smaller portion and then they can always ask for more. And that way, you know, if they're not eating something, you're not wasting as much or you can potentially you know save it for another meal or snack um, or offer the food family style and let them serve themselves so you know for like younger toddlers sometimes this ends up almost backfiring because they their eyes are bigger than their stomach or whatever they're actually going to eat and they may take more than they actually want but um, that can also cut down on waste, too, because if they're not interested in eating something, they're not going to take it in the first place. Also, those smaller portions are way less overwhelming for a picky eater. Um, a lot of times, I think we put on a plate what we want our child to eat or almost like what we're used to serving ourselves, And we don't really think about like their stomach is, you know, the size of their fist. It's super small. Um, and when they see this huge portion, especially for a picky eater, it can be really like overwhelming, like, oh my gosh, I'm expected to eat all of that. So I would definitely start with that. Um, in terms of, you know, again, if they're only eating the fruit every time that you serve it, I would rotate what food you're being you're offering them at meals and snacks. So say that they're only eating fruit, maybe like figure out, you know, one of their safe, like protein foods or carb foods and try to like fit those into so that they're not only just eating, you know, fruit all the time. 
Um, and again, those safe foods don't have to be their absolute favorites, just something that they've typically eaten and enjoyed when you've offered it in the past. Yeah. So how do we avoid sugar without making it seem like sugar is bad? And I can relate to this incredibly because, um, you know, we, I intentionally don't bring a lot of sugar into the house, right? Or, or let's just say like, I don't bring like a lot of candy or whatever else. And of course I have alternatives and I let my kids enjoy those. But when, um, like our kids are constantly asking for it and they're saying that that's what their belly needs, like how, you know, how (laughs) do we sort of manage that process without it making seem like elevating sugar or making them feel like they need to earn it or that it is, you know, bad and has morality. Yeah, so this is really tricky. I mean, each family will be different in terms of how they choose to handle sugar and sweets and things like that. Um, But I would encourage people to think about, you know, where, first of all, like your thoughts about sugar come from and how you want your child's relationship with food to be now and in the future. So I suppose that it's possible if you wanted to, to avoid it at all costs right now. But, you know, what happens when the child gets older and they're exposed to these foods at birthday parties and school and sports? Um, you know, restriction and like tightly controlling things just makes us want it more. And it can actually cause a really chaotic relationship with food. So when they finally do experience these foods, a lot of times, you know, this is like the prime example, maybe a child who never really gets sugar or sweets at home and then goes to a birthday party and then stands like at the cupcake table the entire time instead of playing because they never have it. So then they're so like obsessed with it. Mm. Yeah. Um, Okay. This is from Sarah. She said, uh, my son is two and a half. He is so busy. Such a mover. I can never get him to sit down and eat his food at mealtimes unless it's just straight fruit. Fruit seems to be the common thing here. (laughs) Um, The only time I can get him to eat anything else is right before nap or bed while we're reading stories because he knows he can either eat or go to bed. At that point, he's pretty, he'll pretty much eat anything. He's not very picky, but mealtimes are so frustrating because he won't sit for longer than two minutes. <laughs> and the food before bed makes bedtime routine way too long. So <laughs> what do we do with these busy children who want to go play and not sit? Oh my gosh, toddlers, it can be so hard with them because they are on the move and they're so busy. It can be really hard to get them to come and then stay at the table. So I do have some ideas for this. Um, So if your child, you know, kind of struggles with transition, so maybe a lot of times when we're calling them over to a meal, it's like we don't give them any warning. So it's like, no, I don't want to stop playing and come to the table. So One thing that I recommend, first of all, is to give like a five minute warning before it's going to be time to come over. That way, you know, they can kind of like mentally prepare that, okay, playtime is winding down and we're going to be going over to the table soon. And even have them engage in some sort of like sensory activity before they come over to the table. So maybe like, let's do frog jumps over to the table or like walk like a crab over to the table, just because it's allowing them to kind of move their body and get out some of that extra energy (laughs) before they actually get there. Um, Another thing to consider is like 
the chair that you have at the table, a lot of times people don't realize that the chair is not really supportive enough for the child. Like if they don't have anywhere to rest their feet, think about yourself if you're sitting on like a backless chair, like at a bar or something like a bar stool and you have nowhere to put your back and then like your feet kind of dangle off after a while, it's not very comfortable and you can't really like stay sitting that long. So I think even just looking at, you know, what kind of, like chair we have for the child at the meal can be helpful just to consider. Um, One thing that I love is first of all, being realistic about how long we expect our kids to sit at the table. So really like two to three minutes per year of age is what's appropriate. Um, And I like to use like a little sand timer so they can actually see like how long, you know, that they have to kind of stay at the table, not to make them eat, but just to like sit with the family at least. So that can be helpful just because it's an actual visual thing that they can see. Um, And then again, make sure to have at least one safe food so they're not rejecting the meal entirely because they don't recognize anything. Uh, Maybe even bring some fun utensils over to the table, something new like novelty and fun can go a long way with kids. So maybe like a fun little food pick or a new fork or a plate or something like that. And then this is like a game changer. I think when we started doing this in my family, it actually just made the meal a lot more pleasant for everyone. So again, the conversation, we don't ever want to be like on the food, like, oh, take three more bites or how's your chicken or whatever, but making it a positive environment. So play a guessing game or like I spy, or you can even get like little question cards or tell like a family story where everybody has a chance to kind of contribute and it just makes it a lot more fun. And the kids actually want to sit there. Yeah, that's really smart. I I will say I, I, I've noticed um, huge, like a huge difference with my second kid because he's entertained by my first kid. So, so right. So he, he he hangs out and he's fine to sit there at two and a half because his mm-hmm. sister's hilarious and they sit there and they they play to, they kind of like you know share and they they talk to each other and they laugh and so it's a lot easier and so I think that entertainment piece or, or that kind of like make it a game um, or kind of like have something entertaining for them to do is yeah. is really important and it's also a huge like wow moment when it when you said two to three minutes per year right right that's not a lot of time that's literally the time it takes you to like fill up their drink and prepare their plate so i know bring them over at the last minute one of the things too that i found that's been really helpful is i do change up the space that they're eating at and i know a lot of people don't have that flexibility but we have a lot of different tables and we have a picnic table outside that's a low (laughs) table for toddlers that their feet are on the ground we have a table in their playroom we have a coffee table which i'm okay putting a little few little snacks on if we're doing something in the family room so i try to even change up as long as it's safe to eat while they're, you know, moving around or sitting on the floor or something, I also change up sometimes where we're we're sitting and eating. Um, yeah, I love that. Like, you know, yeah. in the summertime, my family loves to eat, you know, on our back patio. And it's just, it's yeah. a lot more fun for everybody. And I think, you yeah. know, it goes back to the whole, like, creating a positive environment. It's just changing it up, having a little bit of a different scene to look at. And, you know, when they're done, they can go run around in the yard and everybody else can still enjoy their meal. So it's kind of a win-win. 
Yeah. Okay, this is from Allie, and this is this is a popular question. She said, help, I have one kid who loves any and everything and one kid who would starve if I let her. How do you shift from getting a child to eat without the motivation of desserts? I hate to say this, but I do a lot of a few more bites if you want dessert because she will eat nothing. I never force her to finish her plate, but she does better and is more willing to try things if I lure her with a small dessert after like a few chocolate chips or a homemade cookie we made, for example. Um, and I think that one of the things that a lot of people were asking in this to Marielle is like, how do you know if like, I think a lot of moms feel pressure when their kids are on the low side of normal. Like, you know, I, I have small, you know, I fought that whole fear of like, is my kid growing enough? And my child's so small in comparison to other child or other children. And so sometimes we feel that pressure of like, our kid's not eating, like our kid's going to starve. So, so how do we deal with that um, and get your child to eat without the motivation of, of dessert? <laughs> yeah, it can be really hard. I think the first thing I would recommend is, so when, you know, they're at the pediatrician and you're looking at their growth curve. So are are they maintaining their own unique growth curve? Not comparing them to any other kids, but like, how have they always grown and are they consistently growing? So that's the first place to start. If the answer is yes, then they're likely fine. Um, you know, again, unfortunately, the more that we use like desserts and sweets as a bribe for eating other foods, the more power we actually give those sweets. Um, mm-hmm. So like I was saying before, I think one of the best things that you can do, especially if you notice maybe that your child, it seems like really preoccupied by sweets and things like that, is to just serve everything all at once. And that doesn't mean like, you know, unlimited quantities of sweets every time you serve them, but um, to let them kind of see everything on an equal playing field and let them choose the order that they're going to eat everything. And then it's not a bargaining chip. You know, if they choose to eat the chocolate chips or the homemade cookie first, and then that's all they are choosing to eat. Or if, you know, they have that and then they have some of the rest of their meal, then that's fine. But then you're not having to deal with like the bargaining throughout the entire meal, because then you're not enjoying your meal yourself. You know, if you're constantly having to say, you know, like two more bites and, you know, if you just try it, then we can move on to have the cookie or whatever. Um, Because again, I think kind of like we were doing before when we were putting ourselves in the child's position. So say that somebody offered you like a free meal at your favorite restaurant. If you ate a food that you really didn't like, you know, how would you feel in that moment? First of all, you might feel like a little bit like anxious to try it or kind of like worried about how it's going to taste. And then think about like the next week, would you eat that food again that you really didn't like when the free meal is no longer offered? Hmm. So you kind of want to think about that um, in terms of our kids. So yeah, it might work to get our kids to eat certain foods in the short term, but it doesn't actually help them learn to enjoy those foods over the long term and it actually just gives again those sweet foods more power and it kind of makes them want them even more yeah and one tip just as like a a recipe creator and (laughs) author i i am not 
scared to make the food taste really good. Mm-hmm. And I, I think as parents, sometimes we're like, we're going to steam this or we're going to cook plain rice or whatever. And I, I always roast, you know, if I'm going to roast something, a veggie, use plenty of coconut oil and like a good dose of healthy, unprocessed sea salt. Like a, you know, and I'm not talking about when they're babies. I'm talking about older kids who are running around a lot and sweating and they need the energy and they need the calories. Like they don't want steamed broccoli. Like no, if you can I roast, don't want steamed broccoli. No, I don't either. <laughs> so, so if you can like roast broccoli in really good coconut oil or even roast potatoes, like that's something that my picky kid will eat is roasted mm-hmm. potatoes with a lot of good, you know, coconut oil that touches everything so it gets nice and crispy and roasted and some good Himalayan like sea salt that is a win you know like that that's good calories because I get it like when you're when you're nervous about your kid not eating something make the food taste really good and and use good cooking techniques like if you were in a cook like a rice is a food like you were talking about Marielle that like I know my kids are always going to eat and so if they have Mm -hmm. swim practice or whatever they're going to come home and slam some rice and they may have a (laughs) few bites of, you know, whatever the burger or whatever that I made, but they're going to slam rice. And so I typically do add quite a bit of salt and and a little bit of coconut oil to give it a better, more hearty texture and a little bit more fat and just like fill them up because my kids are very high energy and and I have a, a you know, they're, they're on the small, well, one of them is on the smaller side and I was very nervous about that. So, you know, I got really good at making food taste good. Um, oh, yeah. And, and like, I think that that's important. Oh, I absolutely agree. And even like, you know, if you have a child who only wants to eat like plain pasta or something, you know, put a whole bunch of avocado oil on that Mm -hmm. stuff and like just make sure that it's filling and kind of nutritionally dense and make it taste good, like you're saying. And that way you also don't worry as much if that's the only thing that they're choosing to eat because you've kind of boosted it a little bit for them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this is from Cassie, another very popular question. Can you talk about navigating food outside the home? Every place or activity we go to is constantly using candy, ice cream, and soda and other foods as treats and rewards, whether it be school, church, family. I feel like they all give these foods morality and of being. How on earth do you navigate the food dyes, sugar, processed foods that are served to our kids constantly without further complicating their relationship with food. If I, if it wasn't so pervasive and was uh, seldom, I would feel like it wasn't such an issue. Um, and Marielle, this is, this is just so common for so many of us because we don't really feed our kids these things in the home. And then when we go outside the home, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a new situation for us because I don't want my kids to feel like they're out of place or they're left out of something. Right. So how do we navigate those situations where all the stuff is being offered um, and we don't want them to feel left out, but we also don't want them to maybe be exposed to a bunch of stuff we know is not going to make them feel very good? Yeah, it's really hard when it feels like every time you turn around, there is, you know, another occasion where there are Mm -hmm. sweets or, you know, especially when those things are being used like as a reward or being referred to as special treats and things like that. Um, I think this is all the more reason that we want to try our very best to be neutral about food at home 
and to serve your children some of their favorites pretty regularly alongside balanced meals and snacks. So if there is something that your child like continuously asks for, I say buy it and serve it to them. You know, take it off the pedestal. Don't make it this like forbidden fruit because I think a lot of times if they're asking for something, there's a reason for it. It's like, you know, they really want to try it. And I think letting them kind of experience it is better than trying to deprive them. And again, it all comes back to that we're not going to be able to control all of the things that our kids will have access to as they get older. So I think it makes sense to try our best to be neutral about these things at home and then expect that there are going to be situations and occasions where we're not going to be able to control it. And, you know, ultimately, I guess it's up to you as a parent to decide like how you want to navigate those situations. But I would recommend kind of allowing our kids to experience all types of different foods because that's how they learn to self-regulate too. You know, if we're constantly just being like, oh no, you can't have that or that's not good for you. It's, it's, it's not really giving them the skills that they're going to need as they get older too. And they have to navigate those situations on their own. You know, I don't think I've ever um, mentioned this, but I had a, I, I, growing up, I was not allowed to have sugar and candy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was allowed to have desserts, but like candy was a no-no. And I was told that I was allergic to sugar um, <laughs> because, you know, w- whatever, it made me react you know, like most kids do when they, they go kind of nuts and crazy and stuff. And so I kind of always grew up having this understanding. And when I got candy from somewhere or something, like I had to like put it in a box and not, and I had to ask before I touched it. And um, I, it, it messed me up, um, for quite, you know, I, I can vividly remember being older and like an older kid and just being completely consumed with candy and like wanting to eat it. Yeah. And, you know, that was my personality, you know, it, it, it didn't affect my sister the same way, but like that, I, because it was so restricted and because and I wasn't I wasn't allowed to have it have it even at a young age like I would sneak and like try to eat all the candy from my candy box right um and you know if it had just been provided to me and not elevated and not restricted I can promise you I would have not had so many of the issues that I did and so much of this like obsession with candy and sugar growing up you know it always consumed my thoughts and I think um, one of the things that I have done now growing up is I have healthier swaps so uh, we do the yum earth fruit snacks and we do the yum earth lollipops and so if i know some of those things are going to be around or ki- there's going to be candy like i'll intentionally bring that and i give those things to my kids almost every day like i'll either give yep. them a lollipop or fruit snacks or whatever because they love it and they mm-hmm. are kids and like right. having a, a 15 calorie lollipop is not going to make or break their life and their health so i would much rather them be um, allowed to have those things and for them to see that within the balance of life and then have a really, you know, amazing dinner and not be like, mom, when can I have a lollipop and it always be restricted? Um, and just kind of like, you know, in, enjoy that part of, of childhood. So I think that there's these amazing swaps now. And of course, I'm not, um, 
never going to let them have a piece of candy because like you know we we went out on into halloween with friends and she got all this candy and she's like can i have some can i have some and i'm like sure we'll pick we'll pick a few out that you can have and we'll donate the rest to you know people who don't have candy you know like I, you know i figure out a way to kind of because you know you just get so much and you're like I, we're not gonna keep all this sitting in the house but um I just don't make a big deal of it. And I think having these swaps, I don't know what you feel about that, but having these other swaps that I feel comfortable having in my home and just letting them kind of have it as part of their, you know, let's go for a walk and grab a lollipop kind of thing. Um, I've been very intentional with that because of just my personal experience and negative um, just relationship that I had with sugar. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that. It's like, we have to be intentional about it. I think as parents, you know, we're all very intentional about making sure our kids have lots of opportunities to eat fruits and vegetables. But sometimes what we don't really think about is being intentional about offering sweets and things like that. Because again, those foods exist in the real world. And Mm. You can only, like, control what your child is exposed to for so long. Eventually, you know, they grow up and they go out in the real world. So I think, you know, being intentional about it and allowing them to experience all different types of food because we want them to have a healthy relationship with all foods, not just quote-unquote healthy foods. Yeah. This is from Colleen. She says, how harmful are artificial dyes, enriched flowers, vegetable oils, etc. for toddlers? I never voluntarily provide foods with with such, but my anxiety is through the roof when we go on vacation or his parents' house and or any cookout type of thing. If I'm around, I politely decline. I found that some people, my in-laws, simply don't understand my logic, though, when it comes to the ingredients. This is so funny, because I always feel like we all have a mom or an in-law or somebody who just (laughs) doesn't get it and they don't care. Um, She says, this this anxiety will haunt me for years. I've already had thoughts about future soccer games where the kids get Gatorade and chips afterwards. I'm not going to be the mean mom who says, you can't have that. But even if I provide better snacks every week most kids will still bring the junk to share so this is more about the mother like us as as moms um but yeah talk to me a little bit about that yeah so again i think it's like a lot of it is our own own mindset so and again remembering like that you know we can't control everything that's going to go into our kids mouth and you know as she points out she wants her kids to be able to be included in these things and she's not going to be the mom who says you know no you can't have that which i think is good um because that would probably create you know an obsession like you were talking about before when things are restricted um I think it's best to just kind of look at your overall diet and think about the big picture again and not, you know, become too focused on things like that, especially if it's just like, you know, every once in a while, if it's you're at a cookout or you're at a soccer game, it's not like they're having that every meal every day. Um, I think it's so important just to keep the big picture in mind. Yeah, and I, I think it's, the big picture is huge and i think we also have to think about like 
what were you doing when you were growing up and taught? Like, were you yeah. always eating broccoli and perfectly balanced meals? No. And, and no, <laughs> and no uh, juice boxes and all that. So, no, like, I am a C-section baby who was, like, eating McDonald's and, you know, I, I've, my parents were had health. I'm not going to throw it with my mom's listening. She's going to be like, I fed you healthy foods. Um, but, like, you know, I had McDonald's Happy Meals and candy and, like, all the things growing up and you know it's okay the it's it's okay health yeah. is not just i think in in our in the wellness industry and by and large the wellness industry is driven by people who are hyper like uh, like have their own set of issues okay mm-hmm. they have their mm-hmm. own set of issues around control and around weight loss and most of them a lot of people are um insecure and they're driven by by a lot of other things that aren't just like, you need to be healthy. Um, and they don't necessarily look at total wellness. That's basically the, the whole wellness industry is really focused on eating less and moving more and demonizing yeah. food and being in control and control and control. And so what we know as a society is that health is, is holistic. Health is physical, mental, and emotional. And I think that we have to really put more weight to our kids emotional and and you know mental well-being and how that impacts them like when they're in a social situation and they're not allowed to have a certain food or we we kind of they can feel our kids pick up on our own anxiety oh absolutely and so we have to really work on ourselves and check ourselves and understand that you can't control everything. Your child is an individual separate from you, and they're going to make choices about their food, and they're going to get out in the world and make choices about food when they're in college and stuff like that. So start equipping them with the tools now to right. be not so obsessed with the bad and, you know, go after the bad and, and give let them start to make the choices now and equip, the, equip them with those skills now so that when they get older, they're not you know, messed up and, and, you know, trying to undo all of the, the problems that they've learned. Right. Uh, or because the, the again, painting. if you're always trying to control them or you're telling them like what to eat or how much to eat or no, you can't eat that when they're out in the real world as an adult, they don't know how to eat mm-hmm. and how to listen to their own body and how to make food choices because somebody has always been telling them what to do. And these are, you know, the people who are probably going to be more influenced by like diets and things like that because exactly. they need somebody telling them like how to eat and what to eat because they don't know how to do it themselves. So true. You're basically describing me. Um, okay, so this is the last question, and I, I think it's really important um, because we do have a couple questions about, like, older kids and introducing new foods to older kids. So my son has autism and has eaten a very basic diet for a long time. This is from Diane, by the way. She says he's 14 now, and I want to expand his palate. So how do I get started? So maybe, you know, we have some moms here who can't start, you know, fresh, um, you know, with fresh babies and toddlers, what can parents of, of older kids do to start helping nourish that relationship with food and introduce new foods in a loving way that is not like, you need to try this? Yeah. yeah. So I would, you know, ask him, like, are there any foods that you would like to learn to enjoy or learn to eat mm. and kind of get his say 
in the matter and like have him help. So maybe, you know, if he had comes up with a couple of ideas about different like dinners that they can make together, have him get involved. And I think that is one of the best ways for basically any child of any age um, to get more interested in learning about different types of food is to get them involved in cooking or prepping um, and just things like that. So I think that would be probably the place that I would start. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I didn't even think about that. Like getting your your kids involved with both the cooking, like picking out process Mm -hmm. and the cooking process, I think is super fun to get your kids to like learn about, like even if you go to like a farmer's market or just a grocery store and you can start looking at certain foods and then ways to prepare it, that that sounds super fun and I'm excited to get to that stage because right now the this, this <laughs> stage is just basically mom can we help you stir the whatever right. you're baking and I and I'm like I, I really just need to make this recipe guys um but I think it'll be a lot more fun when we can we can start picking out foods and being creative with them okay I have taken up a lot of your time Marielle where <laughs> can people find out more information from you because we of course we didn't touch on everything there's a lot more that you talk about and you have so many great tips for like especially Especially situational tips where this comes up and so your kid says this, how do you respond or what's the <laughs> language? What's the language that we can use? And I love I love those. So talk to me about where people can find more about you. Sure. So I have a website, marielbaron.com, and I also have an ebook. So if, you know, raising an intuitive eater who has a healthy relationship with food is something that you want to dive a little bit deeper into, um, that's a great resource for that. And then you can find me over on Instagram at nurturing.intuitive.eatersrd. Awesome. Thank you, Marielle, for being here. Um, and yeah, I will I will link to the ebook and your website and your Instagram in the show notes. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. So for more from uh, Marielle, go to mariellebaron.com. For more from me, coconutsandkettlebells.com. Thank you guys for being here. Um, And thank you for asking all these amazing questions in our Facebook group. It really helps um, me understand and know what your your needs are. And so I really appreciate all of you participating. If you're looking for our Facebook group, it's called Well-Fed Women Holistic Health Community. It's a group. You just search it and I'll put the link in the show notes and you can join there. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Uh, We We will talk to you next week.